0: Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the Day of Pentecost, May 23, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the Old Testament lesson appointed for this Pentecost Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, can be found on page 1345 of your Pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today is Pentecost Sunday, which is one of the feast days on the church calendar we celebrate with congregations around the globe. Pentecost is directly connected to Christ's ascension, which we celebrated last Sunday. Christ's promise to His disciples was that when He ascended, He would send us the Holy Spirit. We heard those words in the Gospel lesson this morning. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Christ's earthly departure is an event that triggers the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. That leads us to the second important truth about Pentecost. In some ways, Pentecost signifies the birth of the Christian Church. Now to be sure, we don't want to artificially separate the doctrine of the Church from the Old Testament, which is what our sermon text is about today. The people of God, believing in His promises, have been around since Adam and Eve. But the Christian Church, with its mission to preach the Gospel of the completed work of Christ to the ends of the earth, that starts at Pentecost. That that starts with the flaming tongues above the heads of the apostles. It starts with their preaching in various languages to the Jews gathered at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. All that starts on Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit. But with all of this in mind, we turn our attention back to the Old Testament this morning, but especially to the work of the Holy Spirit in connection with the Word of God. And so taking up Ezekiel 37, we must first examine the setting of the vision to give us some context. And there are three key truths with the setting of Ezekiel's dry bones to take note of. First, to perhaps co-opt from the princess bride the bones of Ezekiel 37 are all the way dead. There's no other way to interpret it. It's a valley of dry bones that are emphatically dry. There's no tissue. There's no nothing. These are petrified bones. And the reason those details come out is to let us know that among the dead there's no hope of finding a survivor. We're left, as we envision what Ezekiel must have seen, we're left to wonder what has happened here. We kind of get the idea that this is the site of a great battle. The bones are later referred to both as an army and as the nation of Israel. And we know that an army often stands in place of the entire nation. When an army goes to battle, it is said that the nation itself is going to battle. For any of you who have studied World War II, we often talk about what the United States did, or what England did, or what all of the other forces, Axis or allies were doing. We rarely refer to the army only as the people within the army, as if the people who were home were doing something different. It's a national effort. God asks Ezekiel and us, in light of seeing these dry bones, a rhetorical question, and Ezekiel's answer is quite interesting. Imagine being asked by God as you're seeing this, can these bones live? And I, for one, as cynical as I might be, would immediately begin to wonder if this is a trick question. If God is asking me something, and then what are you getting after? The obvious answer, looking at the bones, is no. They're bones. There's no flesh. There's no blood. We've covered this. And yet, you wonder, as I think Ezekiel began to wonder, you wouldn't be asking me this question if this was an obvious answer. And so Ezekiel's answer is great. Oh, Lord, you know. And what Ezekiel does is he ushers us into the mindset of confession. Ezekiel's answer is both a confession of faith and an acknowledgement that God is about to teach him something. Otherwise, God doesn't waste time. Th- this just isn't for show that Ezekiel's here. And so, what God does is the second important truth of the context of this vision. God delivers a message to the entire nation of Israel, but he does so through Ezekiel. Again, what is interesting about this is that in front of Ezekiel, God doesn't command the bones to rise, God commands Ezekiel to tell the bones to rise. God's response to Ezekiel's confession of faith is to give Ezekiel a message to preach. Now, in one sense, this shouldn't surprise us. We're reading Ezekiel's book. Ezekiel is a professional prophet. This is what we should expect in the book of Ezekiel. But the takeaway here, for those of us who are paying attention, is that God speaks through His messenger. God delivers His message of grace through tangible means. And this becomes important for us in a little bit. And then the third truth about the setting of this vision is that even though God speaks through Ezekiel, God is still the one who does the work. Those are two points. Those last two truths must balance each other out here. When Ezekiel preaches, he doesn't take any credit for himself, nor is he given any credit by God when the bones come to life. The bones themselves don't prepare themselves for God's action in their lives. The way Ezekiel delivers his message, and again, I want to apologize for the snark here, but I can't do it any other way. You would think with the way the church operates in some places that we would expect Ezekiel to march around the battlefield and ask, who wants to receive the Spirit today? I see that hand. Well, at least I think. They're bones. I see that hand over there. Ezekiel doesn't do that. And it has to be stated in this way because one of the key truths of this message is that the bones are all the way dead. God acts on the bones without any commentary on their preparedness or their worthiness. And so that's our context this morning. You keep those three truths at hand, the rest of the message lays itself out quite nicely. Is what God does for us here in Ezekiel's vision is that He explains it to us. As this strange and surreal experience comes to a, clone, a close, God explains to Ezekiel and to us what was going on. The bones represent the nation of Israel as we've covered and Israel had been as good as dead. They're broken in mourning and essentially cut off because the context of Ezekiel's book is that he's delivering his prophecy to the Jews who are in exile in Babylon. This also refers to their spiritual state of rebellion and sin because that was the whole purpose of the exile in the first place. Ezekiel here then in recording this vision points towards restoration and new life. The message for Jews listening to Ezekiel describe this experience is that they will be restored to their homeland and they will be brought back into the presence of God. And God does all this for His own glory. He doesn't do this because Israel is worth it. He doesn't do this because Ezekiel is is especially good at his job. He does this for his own glory. And the glory of God is for the good of his people. That they would know he is a God who is powerful. That they would know he is a God who fulfills his promises. And that they would know he is a God who raises to life. That's Ezekiel 37 in a nutshell. But still... There's application for us right here and right now. As we consider the valley of the dry bones and consider that there's no life in the bones whatsoever, this is a consistent image of how we are in our sin. It's a consistent image of death and desolation. This is due, first of all, to our own hypocrisy. Matthew 23, 27, Jesus to the religious elites of His day says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. And in our hypocrisy, it's a picture of our sin. Ephesians, Paul tells us that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. If there's any question, what we're supposed to take as we view the valley of dry bones is that it is not us versus them, it's not us or them, it's that we are them. When we look at the valley of dry bones, you might as well be holding a mirror up to each one of us because this is the result of our sin. And this is the result of our sin as we try to live our lives in the world refusing to repent. We try to put on a happy face, let everyone believe that everything is all right. And this is the entire purpose of social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we all put forward the best version of ourselves to make it look like life is great. It's polished and shined, and we're all trying to get our 15 seconds of celebrity. But in the end, we're not only deceiving those who would view our profile, we're deceiving ourselves. Everything is most definitely not all right. Inside, we're full of death and decay and rot. And as it turns out, as we consider our lives before God this morning, and as the field the bones is a mere image of who we are, we realize, too, that this field is there because of a battle. Now maybe this doesn't surprise any one of us. Life constantly feels like a battle. Life constantly feels like we're kicking against whatever in our lives would come and overwhelm us. It could be ticky-tack things. It could be middle-of-the-road things. It could be catastrophic things. But we're always battling We're always threatened to be worn out by our striving to make ends meet, the constant competition with those in the world around us, or whatever our emotions threaten to do to us at any given moment. But that's not the whole picture of the battle. What does surprise us about Ezekiel 37 is that the battle, as it stands, as we consider our own dry bones is a battle between us and God. In Romans 5, we're called enemies of God. And Colossians spells it out even more clearly for us. You were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Is it any wonder to us that those who would do battle with the God of the universe would wind up in a pile in a field as dry bones. And then God preaches to us a message and He asks an interesting question. Can these bones live? Oh Lord, You know. What God does is the exact same thing He did for Israel Through his messenger, some 2,700 years ago, he preaches us a message. And it's exactly what we've been clamoring for this entire time. So many of us, broken and despairing are waiting for God to speak to us, to heal us. If God would just show me a sign to demonstrate that He cares, if He would just hear me out and answer me for why life is so hard and let me know that He heard my prayers, everything would be all right. But the reality of it is, God has and does continue to speak. He's given us His Word, and He's given us His messengers. He doesn't speak directly into your mind and spirit, but He speaks directly by His Spirit through His Word. That's what you're here doing right now. It's not because I'm especially equipped to do it, It's because the Word of God is especially designed to penetrate your mind in your heart with His message. And God is the one who does it. If I preach a miserable sermon that makes no sense to you whatsoever, as long as it comes from this Word, God is speaking. And if I preach the greatest sermon any human has ever preached out of this pulpit, it's not me who does it, it's God who carries that word to your mind and heart, because when it comes down to it, we're all full of dead men's bones. And this is God's message to you. This is God's message of Pentecost. In fact, this is God's work because of Pentecost. God today wants to raise you to life. God today sends you His Word through His messenger to raise you to life. We've covered this. In your sins, you are dead. You've been at war with God And He has warned us from the very beginning that the wages of sin is death. But the entire reason God speaks through His Word is to point to His Son. And His Son has done for you what each one of us could never do for ourselves the death that you deserve for your sins, Jesus died instead. The punishment you have incurred because of your rebellion, Jesus took on His own shoulders and died in your place. And what Jesus has done is He's forgiven you. He's atoned for your sins and then He's gone and conquered death in your place. The entire season of Easter that we've just celebrated for seven weeks preaches this message. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. But what Jesus has done in rising, He has conquered death, and now He has ascended to the throne of God His Father, where He operates in your place for His glory. Where He operates for your benefit. And what Jesus does is he raises the dead. He raises you to new life so that every time you repent of your sins, God forgives you and he delights to do so. But the other message here, so that we don't let this wander off into the abstract, is that God raises the dead the hope of everything that I've just said for the last 25 minutes is that God actually and physically raises the dead. That is a message for those of us who are going to die, and it is a message for those of us who right now mourn the dead. Death is a defeated foe, and we... And our loved ones who have died in Christ will rise again. This is the reality in the message of Pentecost. God has sent His Son to die for you. To live for you. And now, God has sent His Spirit each and every day each and every Sunday during church to preach the Word of God to you that you might live again. The message of Pentecost isn't focused on the tongues of fire over the apostles' heads. The message of Pentecost, as great and miraculous as it might be, isn't the foreign languages. Those are all results of the Holy Spirit, yes. The message of Pentecost is this. Hear the word of the Lord and live. Hear the word of the Lord and live. And now, may the peace of God who passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.